0: Thank <laughs> you.
1: Hello and welcome to Open Mind UFO Radio. My name is Alejandro Rojas and I am joined by Martin uh, Northwestern Willis.
2: Hello. How did I get Northwestern? You mean Northeastern.
1: Oh, you're in the Northeast. Yeah. I keep thinking you're like in the Washington area.
2: No, but I do love it out there.
1: But, yeah, I keep forgetting. Uh, I don't know who I'm thinking of. Or maybe I'm thinking of my friend Jordan. I have a friend Jordan out there, a really cool guy, Jordan Peace. He's backstage at the conference. He's backstage at all of these UFO conferences helping out with the AV. Uh, he's in the Northwest. Uh, I got totally mixed up.
2: Yeah, he must be a very good-looking gentleman.
1: Oh, he's a good guy. He's just yeah. a good guy. He's a good, helpful fellow like you. He's a level-headed ah. Good guy that I like talking with in this field. And uh, maybe that's why, maybe you've got kind of a Northwestern kind of attitude.
2: I do, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: But you that's do have that Northeastern accent kind of a little bit once
2: in a while. Hey, yep, sure do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I apologize for that. That's no problem. But I, it, I've been called worse middle names. Yeah,
1: it sparked so, yeah. conversation Yeah, about <laughs> where you're from and everything. That's right. All right. Uh, by the way, are you like in the what area of the Northeast now that I? Know? I
2: am in the great state of Maine. Okay, that's we what I thought. A lot of snow. I'm on top of a mountain in mm. Maine, and uh, have a beautiful view of uh, beautiful observation decks on uh, my property. Uh, the only thing is, is I haven't seen a UFO there.
1: Mm, that's bound
2: to happen. I have seen the what do you call those venticular clouds or whatever? Yeah, lenticular clouds. Lenticular clouds. Uh I have seen them and I've taken some pictures and gee, they're really there's some really interesting ones that look exactly like a disc. You know, I could see how Mm -hmm. someone could take a picture of it and send it to someone and some first look you'd think it's a, a flying saucer. But yeah, I'm right in. I'm right across um, in, on a mountain and situated a place where I can look out over New Hampshire's White Mountains, Mount Washington. Cool. It's, it's quite beautiful, actually.
1: Yeah, awesome. Yeah, those lenticular clouds. You know, we had them in Colorado, of course, which is mountainous, and uh, there there is stories about them recently in Texas. And not only there are people who mistake them for UFOs, but there are people who know exactly what they are but still believe they are ufo's or there are ufo's hidden inside of them
2: <laughs> they're they're uh, cloaking yes yeah. yeah a lot
1: of people believe that you're laughing at these people who are my friends no i'm
2: not i just thanks I, martin i totally buy into it yeah.
1: <laughs> you yeah. believe it too yeah so uh and you know i'm just going to i was just watching a show and this is really cool because i'm when i work out at the gym i watch hgtv i don't have that channel and i'm I'm fascinated by it but i saw you can buy an island if you've got like a million or 1.5 million dollars you can buy an island in uh, maine where that has a little like house on it
2: wow do you know that i did not know that. Yeah. There's, um, I think, there's thousands of islands off of Maine. Mm-hmm. I'm not really sure. There's a lot. Yeah, and, so you
1: could buy your own. You have Yeah, Bo they're Island. selling
2: lighthouses back here. I, I knew of a. Uh, there was someone bought a lighthouse for like fifty thousand dollars, and it, it's right on wow. a point, right over the ocean. I don't know what you're going to do though. It'd be kind of, you know, kind of a weird place to live, maybe. Mm-hmm. But uh, still, uh, I was kind of surprised. The Coast Guard sold them off so cheaply.
1: Yeah. Wow, that is kind of cool.
2: That'd be fun. Yeah, it's better than a million bucks, you know. Yeah,
1: that'd be a lot of fun.
2: Yeah.
1: All right. Well, let's get into it. I'll first talk about our guest. I, we've got an exciting guest for today. That is Denise Marcel. And uh, you may recognize the last name from Jesse Marcel, the mm-hmm. intelligence officer at the Roswell Air Force Base, who was the first to go look at this uh, material that uh, crash and was the first to say hey man this is weird stuff and uh, bring it back to the base and he's famous he's in the pictures holding up balloon material
3: mm-hmm. material
1: which he says is not the same he collected from uh, the deserts out there near Roswell New Mexico and uh, you know he he was told to shut up essentially you know that uh, we're going to tell people it's a balloon and that's the official story he said yes sir Uh, he stuck with that story and and did his duty and so they debunked the whole thing and it didn't become a big deal Uh, and some people don't realize this roswell when it happened was a bit of a news story at the time the next day you know they said oh we made a big mistake it was just a bloom and the story was over not even UFO researchers really knew much or talked about it until the 70s when uh, Jesse Marcel began to talk about it, you know, He, I guess he talked with some friends, UFO researchers eventually found out about it, the most famous being Stanton Friedman, Stanton Friedman then interviewed him and he said, yeah, uh, you know, I think time has passed, I'm retired now and I think people should know that uh, that wasn't a balloon that I picked up, even though we, we told people that, that's what I was told to tell people. And uh, so Stanton and others started doing the research, uh, found other witnesses who, who, upheld uh jesse marcel's story and jesse marcel never said anything about aliens but of course some people started saying there were alien bodies recovered uh witnesses who who made these claims and now roswell's famous and a big deal so i was good friends and we've had him on the show uh, with jesse marcel jr uh he was a wonderful person and and some of you may know Mm -hmm. i was helping to run the ufo lectures out there in roswell uh during the uh July 4th festival to mark the anniversary of the crash and in fact that's coming up this weekend so I'll be out there with Denise who is the guest tonight but unfortunately Jesse Marcel Jr. will not be joining us because he passed away a couple years ago and, and that was really sad because uh, well as you'll hear Denise and I talk about her father quite a bit I mean I really love this guy I, uh, I did a, at least a, a website for him and and helped him promote his book, and he was just a wonderful person. Um, he was funny in that he was so humble, he, he would never push his book and stuff, and I was always trying to tell him to do that and to do like Stanton Friedman because he was in interviews with Stanton a lot, and everybody knows I've seen an interview with Stanton Friedman. He always brings a book when he's on stage, In a panel, anything, he always has a book in hand so he Mm -hmm. can show the – flash the book and say, it's right here in my latest book. (laughs) And uh, I don't blame him because you got to sell books. This field, people don't make money. So I don't blame him whatsoever. It's just smart marketing. And you know he took the time to write it in a book, so you should go check out the book uh, because it's going to have more of that information. So I used to try to coach Jesse Marcel Jr. to do that, but uh, he was just – not into, he was just a humble person and not into self promotion and stuff. But, um, great guy. So we're going to be talking to his daughter. Why his daughter? How is this relevant? Sometimes people say, well, what does she know? You know, she's just a grandkid. She's not going to know nothing. I don't know who that guy is. You know, <laughs> that uh...
2: sounds like he's from
1: Maine, though. Yeah, some guy in yeah. Maine sitting out there. What do I care about this, Janice Marshall? I don't want to hear about UFOs. So actually, <laughs> Denise um is now working with MUFON. She is actually starting up the LA Los Angeles chapter of MUFON. And uh it once was one of the bigger chapters and then there was uh kind of some changes there where I think the uh section director went away and and now they found a new one and she's getting stuff started out there. So very exciting. Um, and we will talk to her about MUFON, about uh UFOs, how all of this affected her family and uh a great talk, and we'll talk about the Roswell UFO festival, which Denise and I will be at, along with Stanton Friedman and others, um, this weekend in Roswell. So that's the guest. Exciting stuff, huh, Martin?
2: It is. I do. I do want to bring up a point though that you made. Okay. You yeah. said back when Roswell happened, and the next day they re- retracted the uh, that the Army Air Force. uh, Collected a disc and they changed it to the weather balloon. You mentioned that you know no no UFO researchers got into it at that time. Well, you know what? That was kind of the birth of the UFO research. You know, there was no one really doing it before 1947, unless I'm unless I'm wrong. You
1: are. Uh, okay. Halfway wrong. <laughs> You're right that everything started up in 1947. But this is really interesting about this period of time. Uh, but Roswell was not the impetus. The, the birth of the UFO, uh, even though it happened in 1947, had nothing to do with Roswell. Instead, it had more to do with Kenneth Arnold.
0: Okay,
2: sure. He was
1: the big case that uh, prompted the starting of uh, Blue Book. Uh, Blue Book nor many of these others even really talked about Roswell. Uh, however, uh, if people, if you look into 1947 and at the Roswell Museum, they have uh, some of this material there. There were a lot of sightings during this period of time. Even if you listen to the radio show for Roswell, they say, you know, finally, we'll find out what these mysterious discs are that people are seeing all over the country. So uh, UFO sightings were just happening very frequently during this period of time, Kenneth Arnold was the one that really kind of was the the match that, that lit the flame. But uh, in the undercurrent there, uh, going unnoticed was, was Roswell. So um, so right, right and wrong there,
2: my, my well, friend. Well, yeah. And then, you know, if you, you can think of the Ghost Rockets in 1946 mm-hmm. and uh, the Foo Fighters during the war, you know, it was yeah. all leading up to it. But I don't think anyone was taking it serious until about that time, and I think Arnold was just a few weeks apart from uh, Roswell, if I'm right.
1: You're right, just a few yeah. uh, weeks prior.
2: Yeah, interesting, it's, though.
1: Yeah, really interesting, and and uh, I recommend people look up that that period of time, like even that summer of 1947, a lot of sightings, and that's when everything started up, and that's what's just kind of interesting about how when Roswell finally did come into focus, it was... Right. You know, it had happened during this period of time, which I think gives it more um, credibility, you -hmm. know, that there were a lot of sightings during this period of time, and perhaps one did crash.
2: Absolutely. Could have happened.
1: Could have happened. So we'll talk to Denise about that. Fun stuff, fun stuff. But let's talk about UFO news, Mr. Willis.
2: All right. Well, uh, this week I'd like to talk about a sighting reported in New Jersey. It was a low-flying, massive triangle. This happened back on June 22nd, and it's MUFON case number 66935. And what happened was um, there was a witness visiting his parents in Man- uh New Jersey, uh, kind of a small city or small town, and he was uh, leaving and he was packing his car Something caught his eye, and he looks up toward the sky and sees this this uh object flying toward him. He said it wasn't you know really large at the time, but it started you know, as it it gained closer, it started getting larger and larger and it was about three hundred feet wide or so and about four hundred feet long, a black triangular shape and he said that no light reflected on it. He's probably talking about either uh street light or or moonlight or or starlight or whatever, but he says there was no reflections on it, which is kind of odd, and kind of what you hear, a lot of people say you can sort of see through these things um, and it's kind of interesting when someone actually confirms what you hear. A lot of other people say they're really into the topic or whatever. This is kind of like a bystander, and he's saying, you know there was no lights at all. And the thing was pretty scary, and he did a drawing of it and it's it's uh it's kind of a unique looking triangular uh almost looks like a like a Star trek type vehicle or something like that and uh his father came out and witnessed it as well and it's really an interesting sighting and again, that just happened uh just last week i guess it was mm-hmm
1: yeah, really weird. Uh, and I love these sightings. My uh, uncle has one similar except it was a rectangular object that blocks out all of the stars. It reminds me of like a close encounter type of experience, um, uh, you know, from the movie or something. But so many of these really odd reports and they make sense. I mean, if something was flying around, night would be the time to do it. And if it's just blocking out stars, people probably wouldn't notice it. And even if you did, you wouldn't know what it was. And uh, you know mm-hmm. who could who would believe you? You can't really prove anything. You can't take a picture of that, uh, so all you have is uh, is a report. Um, but a lot of people have similar reports. Uh, of course, David Marler, who we're both fans of, uh, writes about the triangular UFOs, and uh, such an interesting and fascinating topic.
2: It is. And one other thing he said, which you you also hear a lot, is that it moved very quickly and changed directions on a dime. Mm-hmm. Which is another fascinating part of it.
1: Yeah, how weird, huh?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And I don't, you know, I just, I don't buy that. A lot of people say that these are, you know, top secret military because I, I don't know why they would fly over where they fly over for one.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And what's interesting is David Marler, as well as um, uh, Bob Bigelow, his uh, National Institute of Discovery Sciences. Both did research to figure out if these were government, and uh, they determined that they were not. Uh, however, I did see this is interesting. Just a couple weekends ago at the local MoveOn meeting here in Phoenix, they have a great group here. Michael Shrat was talking, and uh, he he says he believes that there are these big triangular craft, and and. Uh, kind of talks about some of the circumstantial evidence leading to some of that so I guess it's possible but uh, it's an interesting and an amazing phenomena that's for sure
2: now is Michael shred he's the one that um, has all the military history of uh, of craft or something if that's the one I'm I, yeah that's
1: I'm, his really specialty that, right yep yeah. that's he's mm-hmm. a uh, by you know profession he is uh, like drafts uh, He works on ACAD and stuff like that to to draft up stuff. So he always uh, does these models and drafts of UFOs and and black projects and different aircraft, uh, which is what he's fascinated with. So, yeah, really interesting
2: stuff. He contacted me once. I remember – is there – yeah. uh, I just can't remember why I didn't have him on the show, but – it seems to me there was uh, there was some controversy, but I, I don't really remember what it was at the time.
1: Well, there's always controversy, but you know what? He's a good guy, and he's uh, I think he speaks from his heart um, what he really believes and what he believes he's found. Uh, and I very uh, much encourage you to have him on the show because he's very, very interesting. He's so funny. When you talk to him one-on-one, uh, he's kind of awkward in conversation, but when he gets talking on his topic – He's just spectacular and then when you get him on stage oh my gosh he lights up he he really uh we've got several lectures online of Michaels and people ought to watch him he's got a great uh, uh, he's a great presenter yeah so very very interesting stuff and he always backs his uh, information up with the sources and um, you know to add credibility to what he's talking about
2: well I'll have to uh I'll have to look for his email
1: yeah definitely recommend get him on Sure. Thanks. So, a couple other UFO sightings to talk about. One of these uh, is, and, and we'll see what you guys think. It's one of those ones that you know is kind of creating controversy over what it might be. Um, and these are some lights that were caught in Tarma, Peru, June 17, 2015. They were posted on YouTube. Uh, they show multiple lights. They're white in the video uh, that kind of come on and off. And uh, this uh, father and son who took the videos thought they were really weird. Uh, They thought uh, they might be attached to a large spaceship. Um, Of course, it could be that they're Chinese lanterns. And uh, that's what's always difficult, with just lights in the sky, uh, and depending on how they maneuver and everything, and as to whether or not they're Chinese lanterns. We posted a video uh, in the story of someone launching a Chinese lantern, uh, demonstrating how they can be mistaken for a UFO. If you remember, I took one of those videos also with some Chinese lanterns. But uh, yeah, so this is an interesting one. Uh, it's hard to, to decide for sure you know, what it might be, but you know, people can go online And check that out. Um, You know, one of the things that they left out in uh, that episode of chasing UFOs that I was in with, uh, you know, Jason was in it as well. We went out to the local mountains to look for UFOs. We saw flares over the Barry Goldwater Range, which happens a lot out here, Um, but there was also a light to our north. And so we trained these cameras. We had a big lens. Uh, They had a bigger lens, this amazing lens with night vision. And uh, very quickly, Ben McGee uh, was able to say, hey, that's a uh, Chinese lantern. And I was always suspicious because they look interesting at night. But I was always suspicious. If anyone saw the show, they will know um, it wasn't that great of a show. James (laughs) Fox and Ben McGee have both come out and and said that they're really disappointed with how it turned out. But uh, I, I'm kind of suspicious that the crew, the production crew, launched that Chinese lantern to try to trick us or just to add some excitement.
2: Oh. Wow. I know. I and, I, <laughs> Jeez.
1: and I wouldn't put it past them, so kind of frustrating. But, yeah, see what what you guys think of that. Did you see that video at all?
2: Yeah, I looked at it. And, um, yeah, it's you know, it is so hard to tell with the Chinese lanterns. And, you know, these things that look like they're just floating, but it's really hard to tell. Um, you know, if they're keeping the same altitude because it could be just a distance away. And they sort of change the formation a little bit here and there. But, you know, it's it's lights in the sky. So hard to say what it really is.
1: Well, and that's the hard part is lights in the sky. What can you make of it? And uh, that's why I think, you know, people argue, oh, we've got cameras and so many cameras around these days. But even if you get a camera, you know, even if you have it could be some extraordinary craft from some other planet. With a couple lights on it. And we do get it on camera. Even if you have a good camera at night, you know, it's hard to make anything out. So uh, that argument that, you know, just because we have cameras uh, and everything around doesn't necessarily mean we're going to get good footage. And even then, it could be faked. So uh, you need that witness testimony along with it. But, yeah, this is one of those that you just got to go interesting. uh, But who knows?
2: Right. Right Righto.
1: This is kind of cool, a flurry of reports in the UK. Now, this is another one where the photo that was taken uh, of a light in the sky at night is not that impressive. And actually, the photo looks like it's some point of light that is out of focus. Uh, And of course, that doesn't mean it's not um, mysterious or strange, uh, but uh, it just is out of focus. And I show, you know, a picture here, uh, and there's a link to a video where someone uh, shows you know how venus gets out of focus and can look weird and lots of people mistake it for something strange uh this story would not be a big deal if it was just this one photo alone but the lady who took the photo says she sees this you know light that is flying around strangely over the town of newbury and um uh well near newbury she's in hungerford uh at night often and she says you know at one particular night the night she took this picture she ran over to her neighbor's house and said look and they all saw it and uh, so the newbury weekly news posted her picture and wrote about this and they started getting a flurry they say of reports so a bunch of people said hey i've seen the same thing and all of the reports are very similar they say several times uh, they'll see A light in the sky that maneuvers strangely and it blinks green and blue, which is really odd. So, uh, pretty interesting. And here's the hard part. Some people may say, well, why don't they just get out there and film it? But as we just talked about, that's not very easily done. And even if you just get this video of uh, a light in the sky, that's not going to necessarily tell us much, even if it is, you know, going green and blue because, um... You know, especially if a star is very low on the horizon and if there's pollution, uh, it can twinkle and look all kinds of different colors. So uh, really interesting, I I think, just because there's so many other witnesses who have come forward in this this area uh, of England uh, to say that they've seen this this odd UFO.
2: Yeah, and I... You know, don't, I don't always buy it when they say it's Venus. You know, you always hear people saying
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, it could be Venus and all that. But it would be interesting to find out if these lights were stationary or if they were actually part of the, uh, you know, the, it's kind of like a, an orb-type uh, shape on the picture that you have in the story. So it makes you wonder if the whole thing was flashing color or if it was stationary lights.
1: Right, um, they said that the objects moved, uh, and this is what's also interesting. If it's Venus, often, and we get this report a lot, and I, I remember with Mufon, when it's Venus, people say, I see it every night. It mm-hmm. seems to move and change colors, but it's always in this one area. Um, you know, and if anybody stared at a point of light, go stare at Venus, it'll look like it's moving, especially if there's clouds going by, it looks like it's flying around when it's not uh but that's something that is seen every night, you know, but when these people say some nights they see it, sometimes they don't, you know that's a little more odd because Venus is going to be in the same place at the same time every evening could be that they're looking mm. at different times in the evening perhaps but uh, yeah I don't know there's some little clues that make this seem like that uh, and there's so many people I don't know that they would all fall for for Venus you know thinking it's a UFO
2: yeah yeah you just hear that a lot though yeah yeah
1: you do so finally my last story and this one's really exciting I think this is uh, the NASA administrator um charles bolden who kind of talked about aliens in area 51 this is pretty cool so he was in the uk uh, you know england making some more ufo news here but he was talking to some school children and he told them he essentially thinks that uh, we're gonna find life outside of earth one day so one of the kids asked him it was little common Deering, age 10 asked him (laughs) Do you think uh do you believe in aliens essentially? And he said, I do believe that we will some day find other forms of life or a form of life, if not in our solar system, then in some of the other solar systems. The billions of the solar systems in the universe. So he says, Yeah, he believes in aliens, which isn't too much of a surprise because a lot of uh NASA administrators have said that. He is the big boss right now, but uh So that's pretty cool. But more interesting, I think, is that he says Area 51 does exist. He was asked about that. He says it's real, but it doesn't house any aliens. Furthermore, he says he's been there. He says, I've been to a place called that, but it's a normal research and development place. I never saw any aliens or alien spacecraft or anything when I was there. I think because of the secrecy of the aeronautics research that goes on there, it's right for people to talk about aliens being there. So he's been there. Nobody he didn't you know expound on that to say if this was in a uh, official NASA ca- capacity. Um, he used to be a test pilot for the Navy uh, before he became an astronaut for many years. Uh, after he was an astronaut, he actually then went back into the military. Uh, and then he retired, um, and uh, and before Obama, you know, had nominated him to take over NASA.
0: Hmm.
2: Well, I've 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 been kind of on the fence about Area 51 myself. You know, just
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know, you hear stories like Bob Lazar, and you know, other things, uh, sightings over it, and things like that. I mean. I'm sure there's some very unique craft that's being developed, or whatever. But for there actually be aliens there underground and all that stuff, I don't know. I just uh, it's one of those things that, uh, again, I'm totally on the fence over.
1: Yeah, right. And I mean, even Bob Lazar didn't say he saw any aliens there, or that there were aliens there. But we do have reports from, uh, I think, more much more dubious sources. That say there were aliens there, and uh, so, yeah, good point, buddy. Good point. Uh, the mystery
2: continues. That's right. And anytime something's like cloaked in secrecy, you know, uh, conspiracies abound, really. Mm-hmm. I, so. I hear
1: you.
2: Mm-hmm. Of course, that guy in Maine
1: is going. <laughs> what are you talking about? Of course, there's aliens. Area 51. is lying to us all the time. Bunch of idiots on this podcast.
2: You have to give that guy a name like Lumberjack Joe or something <laughs> Yeah, like
1: Lumberjack
2: out there yeah. in the, the northeast
1: Maine guy. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, thank you to our listener there in Maine and to the rest of our listeners for joining <laughs> us for the news. But thank you, Martin, for being here with us to talk about the news of the day or of the well, week. Well,
2: most certainly. Thank you.
1: All right. So, and everybody remember, uh, Martin has his own podcast, Podcast UFO, uh, which will be featuring Michael Schratt probably in the not too distant future. (laughs) That's right. All right. So, but without further ado, let's talk to Denise Marcel. I am super excited to welcome Denise Marcel to the show. Hello.
3: Hi. How are you doing?
1: I am doing very well, and I'm getting excited to see you in Roswell in a couple weeks.
3: I know. I can't believe it's been two years since I saw you last down there. It'll be a week,
1: actually, isn't it?
3: It's, yep, next week.
1: Oh my gosh, it's coming up so quickly. So, and uh, how I do you fly
3: out there? No, we're actually driving. We go for because I live in Los Angeles. I'm just uh, leaving, you know, doing a little road trip at the same time. So it'll be fun.
1: Yeah, wow. So that's a long one for you. It's long for me every year. I make this long drive to Roswell on the July 4th (laughs) weekend, and uh, so that's coming up. uh, And uh, it's mostly, at least the first half for me, is really boring desert through Arizona. But then it gets really pretty once you get to Las Cruces. And go go up through the mountains and everything.
0: Oh, that
3: does sound beautiful. Yeah, we're, we we well, we go like through Flagstaff and that area. So
1: it's, oh, it's so it's a little bit prettier of a drive, but it's uh really nice to be talking to you and to have you on the show. Of course, for people who don't know, you are uh, the daughter of Jesse Marcel Jr., who I knew very well, and uh and I am so um. Honored to have known him. He was such a wonderful person, and and then oh,
3: it was wonderful. You um, you uh, actually helped to have his one his website up, so you were amazing. Thank you for that too.
1: Oh yeah, it was my pleasure. And you know what? Just right off the bat, meeting your father was wonderful. Right off the bat, it would think it was at a mufon symposium. I was so excited to talk to your dad, and uh, I was like, hey there, I'd like to ask you some questions. And the first thing he says is that'd be great let me buy you a beer and uh, <laughs> so I was just like oh my gosh I should be buying you the drink so uh, right off the bat it was a lot of fun and I I enjoyed talking with him and meeting him every time he was such a warm you know uh person uh, very you could tell he's a very honest person and uh, you know uh, someone who wanted to serve his country and did so and other help people which he did it as a, in the medical profession so yeah, a great guy.
3: Yeah, he always wanted to pe- make pe- people feel like that he was very approachable. He wanted to be able to share, you know, his experience with anybody that had, you know, wanted to ask the questions.
1: Mhm. And then of course, his father is uh the man who was the intelligence officer at the Roswell Army Airfield base when the craft uh in Roswell crashed and he was the first one to the scene uh from the Air Force to to take a look at that. And uh, always felt that it was something unusual and that it wasn't a balloon.
3: Yeah, oh yeah, he 100% didn't believe that it was a balloon at all. You know, his words were always, he didn't think it was something from this this earth or this world. Mm -hmm. That's the same belief my my father had, too. He never saw that same material ever again. So Mm -hmm. I have to believe it wasn't from here either.
1: (laughs) Did you uh, ever get to talk to your grandfather about all this?
3: Well, you know, one of my brothers talked to him a little bit more than I did. Um, he was actually pretty young when he talked to him about it. In fact, it's kind of a little bit of a funny story. Uh, it was my brother, John. He was probably, I think, around seven or eight years old, and it was around probably 1975 or so, and uh, he happened to be homeschooled from sick, or Being he was homesick, and I guess like, my, my dad, if you knew my dad, his routine always was, always was he on his lunch break would be to, to go home, eat a tuna fish sandwich, eat a tomato, and listen to Paul Harvey. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that day, Paul, Paul Harvey was on, and um, I guess there was something that they made an announcement like, you know, there's been a million dollar reward offered for anybody who can. Show proof of finding like a spaceship or something like that. And I guess he looked. My mom was there, and he looked back at my mom, and he's like, "Wow, I wish I would have kept a piece of that." And my brother was, "What are you talking about? Kept kept a piece of what?" <laughs> and uh, he said, "Oh, well, your grandfather and I found or saw pieces of something that we believed was what he called at that time a, a flying saucer." And my brother's like, "I want to get Grandpa on the phone right now." So <laughs> he did, and my grandfather kind of reiterated that, you know, about what he saw this strange metallic debris. He also said that there was a lot of ton kind of like what I guess we, we would call it today, kind of like looked like fiber optics, and uh, he just said that it was just there was just so much of it out there, and and then um, he talked a little bit about like the little the, the hieroglyphs. I guess that's the best way to kind of describe it, and. And that's what my dad had really saw too, and that's what really made the impression on my father, too, were those hieroglyphics. Mm
0: -hmm. And then,
3: you know, as a family, we we didn't really talk about it too much, but we knew there was always something there. Um, But it wasn't like an in-depth discussion until we got a little bit older about what really happened out there. We knew something happened, when you grandpa found something really weird, and it had really been a big impact on my my dad.
1: Mhm. Now, how did your family handle this? Did did because, you know, I am into the topic. So, most of my family actually, I think more so than other families are really open to it, but there's some people who skirt around it or you know, they just don't want to talk about it. Was it similar in your family uh, or was your family more open? Did they like to kind oh, of Oh, no,
3: we we really actually embraced it um, mm. because, you know, it's it's kind of funny. I mean, when we were growing up, we always thought that that's what everybody else thought because we were in a really small, isolated town. I mean, literally where I went to a school is now a museum. It was a little red schoolhouse.
0: Mm. So, I mean, I
3: came from a really, really small town. And so as children, we I think we just thought that everybody thought that there was life out there. And so we <laughs> did have this guy- About it all the time and we would literally be camping out we camped out so much because we were in montana and one of our goals when we were camping out at night was to see if we could see anything up in in the sky moving around because my dad always said hey you know there always could be something looking back at us i'm like if that's true and so he also had a very big huge uh, enormous size telescope in our backyard that he built from the top to the bottom that we would look at also uh like all the, um, practically every weekend we did that so mm-hmm. it was just it was like a, it was it was would have been probably abnormal to not talk about it
1: <laughs> in your family and this yeah. was a telescope that your father had built
3: yeah he built wow. it from like the scratch this was like in the this was early like 1970 71 when we moved to uh montana because we were based my dad had been based earlier than that in um california in the navy and then he got out of the Navy and moved to Montana and went into the National Guard. And one of his things, I think it was probably because of what happened to him when he was a kid, was seeing that the, the, the debris had such an impact on him that he loved astronomy. So he decided at that time just to build this telescope. And I remember that the mirror was a huge mirror, and all of us would take turns in our garage, taking this red polish and just polishing it and polishing it until it got that perfect you know reflection into it so that he could put that in there and, and he built a huge like rotating dome wow. And the side of the yeah no it was it was like it was like it was crazy it was like a university sized telescope almost he he dug like a, a a room in the ground and he built all these electronics that would control the telescope and, like, control the dome. Well, actually, the dome wasn't controlled. I think that one we had to manually move by hand, and then we would take a strip out of it so that the, the telescope would point through the, you know, the open portion of the uh, the dome. And the funny story was about that was when since we lived in Montana, a really small area, we had lightning storms, so since that thing was like a lightning rod, (laughs) it would, a lightning would come in that area, it would strike that, then it would go and hit our house, because we'd have, you know, at that time, just is is cable television, we'd have one of those antennas on our house, and all the power would go out.
1: (laughs) Wow. How cool. That's amazing. I did not know that story. That's really neat, and yeah, like you said, it shows, you know, how much of an impact that the whole Roswell thing had on your father, um... One thing that I thought was neat, too, is, you know, when you think about it, you're like, okay, of course, you know, the son of the intelligence officer of Jesse Marcel is going to believe his father and, and be into this stuff. Um, but it's not like your father's just some regular guy. I mean, he was a flight surgeon. Uh, he retired as a major. Is that correct? Uh, he, oh, my dad? Uh-huh. Or my grandpa? Your you know, dad.
3: He, he, retired, yeah, you know, he retired as a colonel.
1: Oh, as a colonel. Yeah, so that's yeah. that's like a big deal.
3: Yeah, no, he, he, uh, you know, it just, it's... And one of the things that, you know, I don't think people realize too is it would have been so easy for my grandfather or even my father to have made the story even bigger than what they, you know, saw. It would have been so easy to embellish it. But they kept it like, no, this is really, this, you know, it was a small part of what had happened. This is what we saw. And, you know, my grandfather said he never saw the aliens or anything like that, which he could have easily done to make his story sound even more, uh, I don't know what the right word is, magnificent, bigger than what it really was. But he Mm -hmm. kept it like, no, this is what it was. This is what we saw. You know, you can believe what you want to believe, but uh, we know what we saw.
1: Mm -hmm. Another interesting thing about what you've talked about here is that you guys, uh, you all had talked about it, you know, and were aware of What Grandpa Saw, you know, in the 70s. And this didn't really blow up until maybe like the late 80s. What was that experience like where all of a sudden this story, this family history you all have becomes the biggest story of UFOs in the world?
3: Yeah, you know, I was actually, I moved out from my parents' house in 19, around 1984, so I wasn't there when that whole thing went crazy at the house, but I do know, you know, I, I would meet my dad here when he'd fly into Los Angeles to go to some MUFON meetings and meet him there, and he did travel a lot from it. I, I I think it was it wasn't ever expected that it was gonna that was gonna ever happen, you know. <laughs> he was it did get kind of crazy. He met, you know what? My dad had an amazing life. He got to meet so many wonderful pe- people because of this whole experience too.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And. You know, I, from what I understand, too, like um, like they did have some weird phone calls and people were kind of like keeping tabs on them, I think, a bit, to just kind of know what, where he was and what he was doing because he did get some weird phone calls. And, he did, you know, he did meet that Dick D'Amato um, person in the Capitol building when they called him out to say, what is it exactly that you saw? Mm-hmm. You know?
1: And, uh, but what, I mean, I'm just curious, like at what point did you see where, uh, start to see, this stuff show up in the media, and what was it like to you when um, you started to recognize wow, this is becoming like a big deal and uh, how did it make you feel?
3: Well, I think it was probably for me was probably in the early early nineties like probably ninety one or two or something like in there because when I moved out to Los Angeles, I moved out here and I you know had stars in my eyes, I wanted to be an actress and that, that kind of all changed, but uh, that movie Roswell was made by Paul Davids, and I, I was in a small little part in that. And before that, I was trying to, like, see if I could actually get, like, I wanted to get try to get a TV series done with, like, a reality kind of show, but that was kind of, like, before reality TV was even going on. So I was, like, trying to do things like that, and then I went in, and I, um, like, in 94, 95 or something like that, I decided to... Uh, go to a uh, hypnosis school, which was the only accredited school in the United States, because I wanted to understand my dad's memories. I wanted to see how, you know, how faulty or they were, you know, accurate. I just wanted to know how the m- memories worked. So what was really great about that was in, I think it was 97, uh, Kent, I don't know if you knew Kent Jeffries was, He's, he had believed in UFOs, but then he, he kind of changed his mind about the whole Roswell thing, but he had arranged for, my dad to be hypnotized uh, by a person of uh, Dr. Neil Hibbler and uh, Kent invited me to go and, and watch those sessions. In fact, I filmed all of them and I was after that, I was like, you know what? My dad's memories is, Great. He has a great memory because when I saw him do the three days of work that they did to try to retrieve those memories, it was like, you know, he remembers everything to the T. He may have gotten little details. Like I remember he's saying, oh, now I remember clearly my dad was wearing his uniform when he came in that night and showed us the material. He remembered little details like that. But for the the overall picture, nothing really changed. It was what he'd always been saying.
0: Mm
1: Mm-hmm. And then the the movie, I mean, that must have been kind of strange, too, uh, Work, you know, it's a movie about your grandfather, really, and your dad, uh, starring right. Kyle MacLachlan, you know, all of these stars in the movie. It's an awesome movie, too. And for people who don't know, this is a Showtime movie. I've talked about it quite a bit, because I think it's the best Roswell movie. And I just noticed somebody uploaded it on YouTube, so hopefully they don't take that down, because uh, it's hard to get a hold of. But uh, go look for a Roswell movie, came out in 1994, to, to watch this because you got to see it. But how did that feel?
3: Uh, that was a really great experience because my dad was also uh, worked at, you know, a little bit, I think they got him out and to do some, you know, consultancy work on it and stuff like that. And I just added little tidbits, like here and there. I was like, I'll uh, tell Paul, it's like, oh, you know, my grandfather was a serious chain smoker, so you got to add that in it was it was really neat. it was, it was a different experience seeing somebody portray your grandfather finding mm-hmm. your father so yeah, it was pretty neat.
1: and did you feel that uh, the movie do you think the movie and and kind of the theories of of what might have happened you know uh, in the background surrounding the uh Roswell event is pretty accurate?
3: It's pretty accurate. I think they t- did take some liberty, but, you know, you have to do that with, you know, movies. You do that sometimes, and
0: mm-hmm. it was
3: pretty good. I mean, I, I you know, it's been so long since I've seen the whole thing of, um, I think, I can't remember if they, they say something like they, he kept a piece or something like that, or maybe not, or he hid a piece under his bed, or I could be completely making this
0: up.
1: I don't remember from, that part, but it was, yeah, it was something like, I think... Yeah, that he kept a piece, but then your dad had to come to him and say, "Hey, did you keep a piece?" and gave it back, or, or something like
3: right, that. Right, right, yeah, because that never that never happened. Mm-hmm. And my dad really, you know, I'm sure both of them wish that they would have kept something years later.
1: Yeah, but the experience. What I one thing I really like about the movie too is that um, you know it depicts your dad as as uh, a child uh, when your grandfather comes home with this material and uh, shows it to your father who's a kid uh, and they look at it and that's essentially you know what your father describes as his experience and then um, but here's one thing that i found interesting and i'd love to hear kind of your insight on this i asked your father about you know in the movie uh, your jesse marcel's very upset about everything that happened but your dad said he wasn't really upset he was a soldier. He did what he was told. He was a patriot. When they told him, "We've got to tell everybody that it's a balloon. Uh, give us all the material back," he said, "Yes, sir." He did what he was told, and that was it in his mind. I,
3: yep, that's that's absolutely correct. I mean, my grandfather was a military man through and through. You got to realize too that was a different era too. I mean, when you were a military man, you were a military man. You followed everything by the book, mm-hmm. and. Um, so yeah, no, my, my grandfather wasn't, I don't think he, I don't know if he got really angry about it. I think it just was part of his job. I mean, really, when you think about it, he was pretty much part of the cover up because he had to, you know, when they took those photos and he asked him, I was like, Oh, never saw anything. And then the next day when he saw my dad or a couple of days later, when he saw my father and my, my grandmother, he was just like, you know what? Don't ever talk about this. Treat it as a non-event. Mm-hmm. So they, you know, he was told not to talk about it. But I don't think he held that as. I just think he was part of the job, part of what right. he had to do.
1: Yeah, and I, and of course he's thinking, hey, my superiors know best. I better do what I'm told.
3: Exactly. Yep. And then, you know, you, you think of everything that was going on in in Roswell. I mean, there were the 509th bomb group, so they had they were dealing with like a lot of you know the atomic bombs and things like that. So. You know, who knows what it would have been? They would have probably wanted to, like, okay, you know, we we need to like figure what the, what this is that we just found out here. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. we don't want to talk about this.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, it would have created a media circus around, you know, the research they would have been trying to do.
3: Well, and it and it did just from those couple, just from that one newspaper article that mm-hmm. you know everything blew up down there just from that. So imagine if they would have said, yes, we we really did find something at how crazy it would have been they needed to get people the reporters off their backs so they could probably get down to business right so unfortunately your,
1: f- <laughs> your family how um have they felt about all of I mean has it ever created any angst for you all or um or you just take it in stride mostly
3: you know what I've gone I've I've gone up I've gone up and down. When I first moved out here I was really into it, wanted to make sure that you know, I was trying to tell everybody that I could, you know, this really happened. It was real. And then I kind of backed off of it for a while because I don't know, I just I started feeling negative about it because it just you know, I saw that some people were Treating my dad not fairly, you know, just saying bad things about him, like he had to have been making things up, and it just, boy, you know, it just kind of really upset me because I, I knew that he wasn't making anything up, and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna back off of this for a while, and which I did. And then more recently, I've just been, you know, at this, I was at the citizens hearing. That was when I started back getting really kind of focusing back on this Roswell stuff again. And have, my whole goal now is like, which was my dad's life ambition was boy, I hope that they come out with this before I go now. It's like it keeps going from generation to generation to generation. I hope now we're on the third generation that this is going to be it. Who knows?
1: Mm-hmm. And I guess we should mention for people who don't know that, of course, uh, well, your grandfather uh, passed away. And was that in 2008
3: or six? Oh. Oh, my! You mean my my grandfather passed away in 1986. Oh,
1: 1986. So much longer. Yeah. And your father yeah. was uh, 2012 or 2013.
3: Yeah, 2013. So
1: just a couple of years ago.
3: Right. It was just. It was literally that when we went out there to Roswell in 2013, when I saw you out there, it was a month later.
0: hmm And
3: it was. It was. It was not. Not funny. But I was telling the the, the museum people, I'm like, oh, you know, I just have this weird feeling that. This is going to be his last time coming out here.
1: Really? I wish I
3: he, yeah, I just had that and I I told him that and I guess my gut was just telling me something. I, it just it was a weird feeling. I just something was up. I just knew something he wasn't feeling well.
0: Mm-hmm. He just
3: you know was a little bit, you know, well, you know, he saw me was a little bit hard for him to get around.
1: Yeah. It was hard for him to get around, but um he had so much life in him and and I I guess it was shocking to me because He was was so present, um, you know, and uh, he had so much life, uh, unlike my grandparents before they passed. Uh, So I was a bit shocked, and and it was a sad thing because he was was a great man. And, you know, it reminds me of the first time I went to the museum with him because it had been a long time since he had been to the museum, and uh, there was a little bit of angst between the city and the museum, and I had brought him in to speak for the city, and so we were a little... uh, uh, apprehensive when we went over there but we went in and uh, we went to go pay for our tickets and I told the lady this is Jesse Marcel uh you know and his pictures right there just a few feet away from us and she's like um okay and I'm like you know are you gonna charge him to go in and she's like yeah uh, everybody has to pay to go in she obviously didn't know who Jesse Marcel was and this is no slide on the on the museum it was probably just some help they got you know for the weekend that just wasn't up to speed on all of this stuff but it was pretty funny <laughs>
3: when was this? This, this? when
1: was this? this was probably um, I can't remember 2010 20, 2009 right. maybe somewhere around there
3: right right
1: so that was pretty funny <laughs> So now. Were he, you there? Oh, uh-huh. sorry, sorry. Go, go ahead.
3: ahead. Nope. Oh, no. Oh no! I was just wondering if you were there, well, like when he. I think it was like in two. Were you there in two thousand five? Because that was the last time that. I I think it was in two thousand five that I had been in there with them, as we did it all as a family when we went down there.
1: I don't think so. Yeah. I, ooh, Not so that I can think of. Uh, I can't remember <laughs> what years, but um, <laughs> yeah. I know it all gets mushed up. So, but. Yep. <laughs> So then you've kind of uh, re-kind of invigorated your interest in the topic so much so that you are, are you a section director or even a state director for MUFON now?
3: I'm the Los Angeles um, section director. Okay, yeah, that's a big section. Yeah, it's a really big section. It's a, it's, it's all, it's a learning experience for me. I'm, uh, you know, Jeff Krause had contacted me. He's the uh, uh, state, Southern California State Section Director. And he had contacted me and asked me if I would be interested in maybe reviving the MUFON Los Angeles section and doing some meetings. And I so, you know what, I've been wanting to do something to contribute back to something you know, At least try to help out where my father left off. And I thought, well, you know, it's all about timing and I guess maybe this is something it should do because it's you know it landed in my lap. And, you know, I have to believe maybe this is what it was meant to be. So I said, you know, I'm jumping in with both feet. Let's do this.
1: Mm-hmm. And how's that experience been for you?
3: Well, you know, I haven't, I've been just trying to get the, the business end set up side set up for it right now
0: mm-hmm.
3: uh, which has taken a little bit of, of doing because I'm filing for all of the uh, for the Los Angeles portion the nonprofit status which that takes a bit for it to go through mm-hmm. and then um, probably I'm hoping maybe around in September to try to start setting up the meetings I just have to make sure I have to have all my ducks in a row because I just wanted to I'm so particular I want to make sure that everything that I do is just right and I want to make sure that for the people that come in for these meetings that it's a, you know, a fun learning educational experience. Mm-hmm. It's an education for me, too, because I've never, obviously, really, I've gone to MUFON meetings when I was really young with my father. But, you know, I haven't, obviously, held any meetings as, you know, a MUFON person. So, it's a learning experience. It'll be a good educational experience for me, too. You know, bringing in some of these speakers, I'll be learning at the same time, which is, I, I find that, that exciting and fun.
1: hmm Yeah, that's one of the great things about putting on, uh, getting involved with MUFON meetings is how much you can learn uh, from the researchers out there. Uh, Exactly. So it's very rewarding. But uh, a lot of people don't know, and I've said this before when I've talked to state directors and and stuff, is how hard it is. I mean, it's a lot of work to put together uh, and maintain an organization.
3: It is. Like I said, this is just like, I've just been working on the business end of it right now. just having been trying to get those all those details um, sorted out. Because, you, you know, working as a nonprofit, it's it's a little bit different than just going out and saying, okay, I'm just going to form this little company and just run it all through. No, there's a lot of things that you have to really, you know, get your board of directors and, and get all of that set into place to be able to make sure that you're doing it properly. Mm-hmm.
1: And how do do people recognize uh, do they who you are or your family relationships when you go to meetings and stuff? Uh,
3: you know, when I if I when I've gone to let's say when I, like, I went down to uh, Eric Hartman's meeting down in, in uh, at Mufon uh, Orange County, and you know I didn't really. Tell him who I was until at the very end. He's like, "Oh my gosh, I didn't know that your that who your father was." And he's like, "Now I understand why." Because he's he's been he's been actually helping me out a little bit with the, the move on Los Angeles and helping it set up too. He's been absolutely wonderful, and so I, I don't really go around and announce who I am. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, I'm sure once I start getting these meetings going and everything, I'll, I'll kind of. Put it out there a little bit, but I don't want it to be about me. Mm-hmm. I, I truly want it to be about MUFON and who the guests are that are coming in to speak.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, I guess, you know, having an interest in this, and uh, I don't know if your views are similar uh, to your father's, not that I know all of what your father's views were on this topic. Do you feel that you know uh, a visitation from some extraterrestrial civilization or multiple is is an ongoing regular thing that's happening?
3: I think that we probably are. I mean, I think it's just there's just people see too much too much up there. Mm-hmm. I mean yes, we have all these YouTubes, and it's probably so many of them are, are hoaxes, but I have to believe that some of those are real, you know. Mm -hmm. And and now that we've seen it, you know, with all these exoplanets that, you know, people, scientists are discovering more and more each day, it's like, the odds are, I think, would be, I think we're, it's a great, the odds are greater that we are getting visited than not getting visited. It's just, it's just, there's too much space out there for there to not be, I think. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. What about crashes themselves, so you obviously feel there's a crash that happened in Roswell in nineteen forty seven yes. Do you think that was a one off type of event or or do you think that may be happening uh, more often?
3: you know you know I, I i it's you know I can believe that there's been a few maybe, but I can't believe that there's been a lot of them I mean mm-hmm. unless there's some really weird magnetic field from Earth that we're setting off that's triggering the, the crafts to crash, it's hard for me to believe that they've traveled such long distances just to crash.
0: hmm
3: Unless there is something that we have that's interfering with their mechanical, you know, their mechanics of how their ships run or, you know, I don't know. That's a, that's a good question.
0: Mm-hmm. I,
3: you know, I, I don't know. I know that I'm sure that we're getting visited. I just don't know about how many crashes that are happening.
1: Mm-hmm. And how big do you think the secret is? I mean, do you think that uh, it, it is a closely held secret uh, by a minority in the military and perhaps in, uh, you know, people in the know and, and in the private sector? Or uh, do you think maybe it's a little bit smaller? Kind of like, uh, for instance, uh, John Alexander, you you might have heard his theory is more along the lines of uh, they just don't know what to do with this stuff. So it happens but uh they're just kind of kind of uh impotent to do anything about it.
3: I think, you know, I think it's probably a small smaller group. I think they'd probably have it very I would think compartmentalized mm-hmm. the different stuff that they found. So probably some people know about it, have a piece of it, where another people has another maybe portion of it, but they don't know that the, each other are working on the same thing from but from different parts. Um I could easily see where something in the private sector may have gotten involved for, you know, maybe they had a lot of money or something like that. I could see where that would have happened. I don't think a lot of people know. I don't think there are a lot of people in the know because they want to keep it as contained as they possibly can,
0: Mm-hmm.
3: which is so unfortunate. It's just it's not right. Now, your father
1: and your grandfather both felt that they needed to share their truths, uh, share their yeah. information, and it seemed like that was... The purpose is just to share information for them. It doesn't seem to me that either of them really, especially your father, was that really, he didn't feel like an activist for disclosure. It didn't seem like he was like really frustrated and he wanted, you know. uh, Did he seem frustrated about the secrecy?
3: I think closer to the end he was getting more and more frustrated. I mean, he was like, his whole thing was, I know what I saw. You can believe me whether or not it's your choice to do so, but I know what I saw. Mm -hmm. And I think near the end, he was more and more wanting to really know what, why they weren't telling us what they really found. Because in his heart of hearts, he believes that everybody should know. he He didn't believe that was a right for them to keep it covered up. Mm-hmm. It's about, you know, it was about time for him to know. And he really, one of his things before he passed away, he's like, I, he always said, I hope that I hear it from the government or whoever, the powers that be to release this information before I go. And that's, that's what broke my heart. I think the most out of the whole thing, because he worked so hard in sharing his story and wanting people to know what he experienced. He wasn't, like you said, he wasn't really an activist, he but he wanted to share his experience.
1: hmm Right, and and it's difficult in that you know he was a. It's not like he was a lifelong ufologist or UFO researcher. He was obviously very busy. In fact, when did he do his last tour? Was it two thousand six?
3: He was. He went in. I think it in two thousand four, and uh, I know he That's because I know he. Last what, what happened was he was in two thousand four. He was in Iraq. Two thousand five. That's why I brought up the Roswell thing. Is he came over from Iraq. To do, um, go to Roswell and and do a little a little talk there, and then he went back. I think for another year, and then then that's when he he was done with it. About that, he was 68 years old when they called him back into to duty.
1: Right, so he's a flight surgeon in Iraq. I'm I'm assuming on the front lines or close to it.
3: Yeah, he actually yeah the uh, yeah he was he was right. I mean his place was constantly being bombarded I mean I, I, I saw pictures where there were holes in the grounds of where bombs literally went off right by his tent I mm. mean it's it was he went through a lot back there
0: yeah. and the
3: reason he did it he just he always kept saying he goes because I'd rather have it than be me than some young person who's just starting off a family because I've had a full life let me go back there I'll do hmm. what needs to be done if I can just have one person that doesn't have to go over there I'll do it
1: wow yeah what an impressive person i mean what an amazing guy he is and um but i mean he was really busy so i guess it's probably an issue where he thinks I- i'm going to share my truth but uh, it's not like he can devote a lot of time to thinking about you know the-, the whole thing and what's going on whereas finally when he does get to retire he got to think a little bit more about it maybe and, and then began to think hey you know this this kind of is not cool. They need to tell everybody. I
0: mean,
3: you're absolutely right. I mean, he was a really busy man. He had a, a full time. Um, he was a doctor. He had a full time practice. And at that time, when we were growing up, he was the only ear, nose, and throat doctor. So he was constantly. He was he was just busy with that. And then at the same time, he was uh, flying ha- helicopters for the National Guard. So he was a very busy man, and he did what you know time he could take away um to go and uh into these you know these meetings or to, try to go and take a show for the, the history channel or something like that and he did what he could do at the time but he was extremely busy mm-hmm. i think if he wouldn't have been as busy he probably would have been have probably would have taken a more active participation in it right but time just didn't allow mhm so, and I
1: I rarely hear criticism of your father, but you do hear some of your grandfather and uh, some people. And I wonder some of your opinions. Like some people have mentioned that he said he was a pilot and he wasn't. That's I think right. one of the biggest. What do you think about some of these these uh, discussions? You know,
3: I've uh, you know I've always wondered that too. I, it could have been. I'm actually looking into more of this. Uh, mm. Act. It's funny you're saying that because. I'm trying to still figure that out myself. I don't know if it was... I think that was from a Bob Bob Pratt interview, I think, um, where they, was the word pilot was used. So it could have been that he was in the plane, but not as a pilot. Hmm. Or he could have been a pilot. I honestly do not know. Um, I know he went on a lot of combat missions. I do know that for sure. Um, and I do know that he was doing a some... Photo intelligence work doing that um, but like i said i'm gonna i'm I'm actually looking into more of that. I honestly don't know i you know I didn't really know about that until later in life that he was being criticized for that thing, and you know when you say something, people can really just like really nitpick at things, and mm-hmm. it's like but you know the thing is that I have to get really think about is when he was doing his like that Bob Pratt interview, he brought up the name uh, Cabot. And that was at that time. People was like, oh, well, there wasn't ever a person that went out with him named Cabot. And then, sure enough, years later, it's like, oh, wait a minute, there really was a guy named Sheridan Cabot. So I think his memory was a lot better than what people were giving him credit for. And that some of his things that they were criticizing him for, I think, really were true. But it's like it's to prove those to prove that it's hard.
1: Mhm. Yeah. Well, and I don't know. I've always felt that I've. It's interesting some of these things people bring up, but uh, to me, it's not like a. a, It doesn't blow everything in that. Um, Right. You know, he knows he he experienced something strange. Um, Now, if I were to go back to my first, what I feel was a UFO sighting. The details would be really difficult. I'm sure I would get some of those details wrong, but I would remember that I experienced something unusual at that time. Um, Yep. And and so. Well, the thing
3: is, I think it was such such strange material for him. I mean, you got to think about when he was out there in that field, just collecting all of this stuff. He must have been. It's like it had to have been just really, really exotic for him to have taken the time out to drive to his I mean, even though it was a, the drive to his house was, you know, towards the base, but for him to have gone home, spread it out, the piles on the floor of this material, and wake up his family to say, hey, you've got to see this. This is something you're probably never, ever going to see again. It has to be something. It couldn't have been a weather balloon. It would have been impossible to have been to a, a mogul balloon. Those are just like such standard as my dad would say it's a balloon is a balloon is a balloon
0: mm-hmm. you
3: know it had to have been just something very strange
1: Mm-hmm. and especially for him to years after still believe it was something strange especially someone who was a good soldier Um uh, yep. uh, knowing that what the explanations that have been out there so far were wrong
3: Yep, yep. And, and then what were they saying that? Like that? Oh, he had the mistake in the the balsa wood and the, the tape on the balsa wood. I mean, come on now. I I don't know one person who doesn't know what balsa wood is. Mm-hmm. I think he would have known what balsa wood was, and I think he would have known what a piece of scotch tape was. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it, you can hear like a little bit of tone in my voice. It just it kind of gets me upset when people <laughs> think that that it's like, how could you have not known? I mean, I, you know. A nine-year-old, anybody, would have known that that's what – it wasn't Balsa
0: <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Well, and that it, it's a little different, too, when um, you don't know who the witness is. So, for instance, there are times where I've heard an extraordinary tale, and I think, wow, that's really neat. I want to talk to the witness. Then you find that this witness is, um, <laughs> well, for lack of a better term – Term uh, not the most intelligent person and certainly <laughs> prone to um, you know exaggeration and and not the most accurate person um, but that's not the case when it comes to especially your father who I knew well and uh, and I would imagine your grandfather as well at least in the interviews he doesn't come across as someone like that.
3: Not at all. I think he was he was a very he was probably very smart. My dad I know was really smart. I mean, every time that you would see him, he only had like a scientific American in his hand, some astronomy journal. I mean that was what his he loved reading and and in our basement and he took this after my grandfather, I think, uh, was electronics. Hmm. And they we had a like a Tesla coil in our basement. We had a seismograph in our basement. Wow. My brothers and yeah my brothers and and my father were always like playing and taking all this stuff apart and rebuilding them back together again. And again, that all I think leads back to my grandfather who had also a real, just was really into electronics. His garage was full of all of these electronics that he would be taking apart and putting back together again. Mm-hmm. He, he had that love when he was a kid and it just stayed with him through his whole life. In fact, that's one of the reasons when he was out at that debris field, he was looking really hard for any kind of th- things that looked like, could have been the electronics, and he couldn't he couldn't find anything. His only thing that he thought maybe could have been maybe what would have been considered maybe the electronic portion was maybe some of the fiber optics that they saw was something electronic, but, you know, wasn't something we'd known what it was, so he didn't know if that would have been a part of it or not. But that was the only thing that he could have attributed to maybe even closely being part of the electronics portion of what they'd found. mm
1: mm-hmm. Now, your grandfather doesn't claim to have seen any bodies. Do you know if he no. believed the stories that there were bodies?
3: Well, he what he was told, from what I understand, he's, he always said, no, he didn't see any bodies. But the people that told him, he said, were pretty reliable people.
0: hmm
3: He never told us who the names were or anything like that. But he said that the people that told him were reliable.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: So that leads me to believe that he thought that there could have been bodies out there.
1: Mm-hmm. And your father did he believe that as well?
3: I think he just had the same kind of opinion as my my uh, my grandfather. I mean, since he never saw any of them, or my grandfather didn't see any of them, he just you know heard the same stories that probably my grandfather did. And you know, I, it's one of those things. It's it's hard to know. I guess only the people that really saw it know for sure.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. It makes it difficult so and that's just kind of the problem that it comes back to and you know maybe I don't know maybe you're experiencing this now especially uh and you will no doubt going forward uh you know uh, by heading up this group with MUFON is that it is difficult for people to tackle uh anecdotal versus information versus um you know evidence or what is evidence and um so, for example, uh, anecdotal information can be poor, uh, given who's given it to you, and having met your father, you know, it lends a lot of credence to what he has to say. Um, so, it makes it difficult.
3: Yeah, a lot of it's, you know, you've got to, it's like speculation, and mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's like we need that, so we so desperately need that whole, that tangible, something that you can grab onto and say, Okay. This isn't from here. What is this? Now, I, you know, speaking of something like that, you know, of um, Frank Kimbler, have you seen the pieces that he found out there in the desert? Oh yeah, what we do you think of that stuff.
1: We were the ones that broke that story. So. Oh okay. Yeah, luckily, I mean, he had gone to a few people, and I, and some people just, I don't know, but when he brought it to us, I thought it was fascinating, and so uh, I wanted to write about that immediately. So. Um, I think yeah, the jury's still out on it, but um, it's interesting, and at least there's some science being done here to back up what he's doing.
3: Right, that's exactly what I think. I was like, at least maybe he can at least have this stuff tested. It's not something like physical that you can touch and and do tests on it.
0: Mm-hmm. My dad,
3: when my dad looked at it, you know, he showed my dad, and he's like, well, because it does kind of look like the color of it. And he said, in fact, he goes when you, like upon like really close examination, when Frank had it up on his screen and blown up, because it looks like those like I don't know what the like scrape marks or whatever from something that would have exploded. So he said that kind of looks like something that could have been because my dad was did go on to you know crash investigation, airplane crash investigation stuff, um, and he said that kind of looks like something that you would have found that would have been from an explosion.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, interesting. Yeah, you just never know. Um, it, It's difficult. So, yeah, I know Frank is still underway um, with his investigation. But, uh, yeah, that's some good stuff. And then you have stuff like, and, I, and I, I'm reticent to bring this up, but I guess uh, I would feel uh, derelict in my duties if I didn't because, because then you have cases like uh, situations like this recent, um, uh, the Roswell Slide stuff.
3: Oh, right.
1: Yeah, and I don't know, have you really rendered an opinion? or
3: No, because you know what, I have not, all I've seen is what everybody else has seen on the Internet. And I, you know, I'm not an expert when it comes to, I don't know, I mean, when I look at it, it looks like, you know, it looks like a mummy, but I'm not an expert in that field. I have no idea what, what, you know, I guess that face card maybe makes it a a little bit more suspicious of being maybe a real mummy, but, you know. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't seen it. I have not talked to Don about it. Um, I'm hoping that maybe I can uh, have a little talk with him about it in Roswell and see where he's at with that right now.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you probably know Don pretty well, right?
3: I used to know him really well. I mean, in fact, uh, many years ago, because of, I met him through you know the Roswell movie, he even brought me out um, on one of his investigations to meet with General Exxon. Now, General wow. Exxon, what, that time? Yeah, at that time was really old. He was in a, a retirement home, and he didn't really... He didn't say anything about it, uh, about that. But we had a really good lunch with him. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, you know, I, 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 I know Don always has probably the, the very best intentions. And if it isn't what it, you know, they thought it was, you know what? Hey, human error, it happens.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I've always... I'm always turned out to be an apologist for everyone, but uh, Don's a great guy. Uh, I think his heart's in the right place, and and uh, if I do he, too. he made a mistake, it was an honest mistake.
3: Exactly, exactly. Uh, and you can't—I mean, you can't take away from all of his other research that he's done. Worked so Don, and it's like you know, it happens.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
3: you think you get excited. I think that's what happens to people in I don't know, the ufology world. It's like you see something and you get so excited, and then maybe. You, maybe you jump the gun a little bit sooner than what you should because you're just so excited about what you found. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: And I guess finally it comes back to kind of just your general sense. Uh, you know, I think it's interesting to hear from people who are kind of, you're getting reinvested into this arena. Um, you're going you're gonna to start these meetings in L.A. soon. And, and that L.A. is like where the most sightings come in in the whole country. Uh, and I know there's a lot of interest out there. What is your overall view? I mean, do you have a positive view when it comes to uh, the UFO field and research, or do you feel there's a lot of challenges out there?
3: Oh, I still think there's a lot of challenge out there. I mean, it's it's you got to take—I don't—I don't even know what the, the word is. You know, it's just—it's if there was a way to apply more science to these things, it would be great. It's just—it's just really difficult because there's not there's just you know mostly it's it's pictures i mean i guess you can tell these days a little bit more if a photo has been faked but it's still you know cgi and everything with the technology that we have today it's really it's hard to to separate what's real and what's not real Mm
1: -hmm. yeah well luckily i think you have some really great mentors out there and uh given such as Jeff Krause and you know there's a group of UFO researchers that I like to work with who I think are careful researchers including some of those people who have done some of the really good research on the Roswell slides and stuff uh, that are not part of the official group but um, but of course a lot of these people like Jeff and, and a lot of the really good MUFON researchers and you'll probably run across this as well get uh, criticism for being too skeptical but uh, I think it's important that we're all careful um, in order to maintain um integrity uh, and credibility
3: I 100% agree with that I think you got to be very careful because in, in the long run you you have to do it that way I think you should be kind of skeptical about it I, I if you're not you're not doing your job I don't think mm-hmm. you got to really know what you you know what you're you're looking into
1: right and you, you know, don't want
3: to be part of the group of spreading out this misinformation right I mean, in, you know, you don't. Want, if you're only helping, I think, the, you know, the government in a way. Why? By p- passing all this misinformation out there, it only mm-hmm. helps them.
1: Right, and you know what? You guys have a lot of media out there, and so I hope you get a lot of media attention. And the media appreciates a careful uh, examination of this topic too. And and I found that they will treat you well if you come from that perspective.
3: Oh, that's good. I'm glad to hear that. I really yeah. am glad to hear that.
1: So your meetings are probably going to get uh, started up in September.
3: I'm hoping, you know, it just depends on how much I've got the everything set up. But that's kind of my goal. Um, I think I've got a place in um, it's a little a place called El Segundo, and uh, where I think we're going to be holding the meetings at kind of setting that up into position too. I can't I can't book the actual date yet until I get you know it's like a domino effect when one thing happens and the next and the next and the next so I'm just waiting for that actually the first domino to fall so I can start getting you know proceeding with what I need to do (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and then uh, people will be able to come and see you and I next weekend in Roswell New Mexico at the UFO Museum and Research Center
3: Oh yes! Oh, can I say one other thing too? For sure. If anybody wants to, um, I have a. There's. It's called. It's www.mufonlosangeles.com, and if you want to go on that website and join the mailing list, then that way, once I get these up and going, then um, I will send out emails um, informing people of when the meetings are set up.
1: Awesome. All right, we'll put that link in the in the uh, description as well. All right, so thank you very, very, very much for coming on the show. Um, it's been a lot of fun talking to you.
3: Thank you so much for having me on. I, I can't wait to see you next week.
1: Thank you so much to Denise Marcel for joining us today on Open Mind UFO Radio. Isn't she a really neat lady? And if you are in the Los Angeles area, like my sister is actually... Um, you're probably very excited to hear that there'll be a new MUFON group starting up. So the rest of the summer, you're going to need to go to the beach and have fun and enjoy your wonderful weather out there. But come the fall, it sounds like she will uh, have stuff uh, getting close to ready. So uh, you'll have your own. MUFON organization out there and uh, of course I'll help her as much as possible as well as some of the very many uh, great people out there in California MUFON who I'm sure will be able to help her and get things going but uh, that'll be great so all of you LA people uh, you know keep an eye on this and go to the LA MUFON website uh, which you she mentioned the URL but you can Also, just go to the MUFON.com website and uh, go to the Get Involved section and be able to find out uh, more about your own local MUFON organization. But uh, keep an eye out for that. And, of course, join Denise and I in Roswell, New Mexico. So, Roswell... We're going to have Don Schmidt and Tom Carey will be out there. They're actually a part of the Roswell Museum. I believe they're on the board because, of course, there's some very prominent Roswell researchers. And if you've been following the Roswell slides, of course, they were uh, tied to that uh, event. So we'll see uh, what they have to say about all of that out there. But uh, other people that go out there are Travis Moulton, Daryl Sims, Yvonne Smith, uh, Peter Robbins, I believe, will be out there this year. Um, Patty Greer, I think. Um, I can't remember all of the people who go out there to talk. Aaron Sagers, my good friend Aaron Sagers, uh, will be out there. So it'll be a lot of fun. So that's this weekend, July 2nd to the 5th. So uh, I'll be making that trek out there. And if some of you follow me on Facebook, you know, every year I always post some pictures from White Sands Missile Base, typically, because uh, we always stop there on the way out so uh, it ought to be a lot of fun otherwise thank you to all of the people who helped make this show possible such as martin willis of podcast ufo and for the opening and closed music thank you to caleb hanks of uh clerk chronicles and you can actually go to the radio page on the TV homepage and see some of uh, his music or listen to it. And uh, he posts a lot of it for free. It's really good stuff. Um, thank you also to Roger Marsh, who writes a lot of our, our stories uh, that you could see at openminds.tv that Martin and I talked about at the beginning of the show. Um, and then thank you to you all for listening. Thank you so much. Um, it's been a great pleasure to uh, talk to you again this week and to introduce you for those of you who have never heard her to Denise Marcel really neat lady so keep an eye out for her because she's very interesting and I'm sure as we spoke there were probably questions you all came up with that you would like to ask her about her father and her grandfather and her family so uh, I guess look for the LA MUFON site you could email her there or Um, keep an eye out at these conferences and hopefully maybe you'll see her and be able to talk to her then really cool lady so thank you for listening remember openminds.tv is where you can find all of those news stories that we talked about earlier you can also find out about the ufo congress and i've got a special for you all July 2nd, if you are not aware, is World UFO Day and we are participating in that by offering a discount to the UFO Congress, the Guinness World Record largest UFO conference. We have some amazing speakers that we are lining up. I think I've already shared with you that we're going to have four or five PhDs. These are professors and scientists speaking at the conference some of which you probably have not heard from but all of which have amazing things to share Uh, I'm so excited about this But anyway, we right now are running our super early bird special. That means if you order your tickets way in advance, like right now, you're going to get the lowest price of the year. However, on July 2nd, we'll allow you the opportunity to get even a lower price. So if you go and register, you'll be able to put in a discount code. On July 2nd, you'll be able to put in the discount code World UFO Day, all one word, World UFO Day. And you'll get a fur- further $30 off the, uh, the big package, the full package, which includes um, the banquet dinner and uh, the opening night dinner. Or, if you want, you can just get the speakers-only package. Uh, but World UFO Day will get you 30 days off that dis- discount code. Um, did I say 30 days? I meant $30. 30 bucks. 30 smackaroos off of the registration. So, register really early. So, that's going to be the cheapest price you can get, period, ever. Is if you go July 2nd on World UFO Day and register for the UFO Congress. We'll give you more information about the UFO Congress coming up because we do, as I've said, uh, have gotten a lot of speaker requests out there. We've got a lot of uh, affirmatives coming back, so uh, we will be posting some of the speakers very soon, and you will, will be extremely pleased with the lineup. I know for a fact that people are just going to uh, have a great time with this lineup because the quality level is just really high with the speakers that we're going to have this year, and uh, once you see that, you will agree. So that is it for the show today. Thank you so much for listening and uh, hope you – well, actually, next weekend is the Roswell UFO Festival. So uh, I'm going to be out there, and that's a long drive. I'll be driving home at this time next week. So I might not have a show next week. I'll do my best to maybe get an interview out there that we can share uh, next Tuesday. But I might not have a show next week just to warn you. Because a lot of people ask, hey, where's your show? What's going on, man? I'm missing the show. So um, that's what's going to be going on. But, of course, you can always join us in Roswell. Otherwise, you guys have a great July 4th weekend. Thank you so much for listening. Adios, muchachos.